It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And we are so thrilled to welcome back one of our favorite guests because his advice just might save your life or even the life of someone you love. Joining us once again is Spencer Curson, one of the world's top experts in threat management. Spencer is a former Army Ranger who's developed and led security plans for major celebrities, sports stars, and corporate executives. He's the founder of the Curson Security Group and the author of the book, The Safety Trap, a security expert's secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world. Spencer, thank you for joining us once again. Laura and Jen, it is a true pleasure to be back with both of you. Well, your book is absolutely fabulous. We have referred to it so many times in conversation since we had you on the program last time. And I'm wondering if you could, again, tell people what this safety trap is that you talk about and that you titled the book. Absolutely. The safety trap is a phrase I coined several years ago to help my clients to better understand how sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we do. Because... When we feel safe, we have a tendency to allow our vigilance to go down. And anytime our vigilance goes down, of course, the risk will sometimes uh, naturally rise. And sometimes, you know, people are like, well, you know, I don't want to live my life in this, like, you know, constantly on alert or constantly like as a pivot. And what this book is really about is how all most of us really ever need to succeed in staying safe is just a healthy sense of skepticism and a moderate dose of vigilance so that we can learn how to, because you know, no one really fears that which we know well. And this book is really, it's not a fear mongering book. It's not a like, uh, you know, hazards hiding in every dark corner kind of book. This book is really about learning how to live your very best life the safest way possible so that you can ensure the certainty of safety for you, your family, and for everyone involved. You've come up with the FOIL method for us to use to assess our vulnerability, and I found that really helpful. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I can I can take credit for the FOIL method because I stole it from uh, from from math class when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, but, um, <laughs> you know, like well, the, we what is it? Uh, but yeah, but um, especially when it comes to conducting like residential security assessments, the FOIL method is is a very simple, very you know, easy to remember application that we can all put into practice in our everyday lives. And the FOIL method is just like it is in math class, first outers, inners, last. So if you're using, if you're going to apply this to, let's say, uh, your, you know, how secure is your house? F first, what are the first impressions? What does it look like from the outside? Are you an easy target or are you a hard target? Does this look like a, a property that is well-maintained and well-cared for, or does it look like a property that's been av- abandoned and neglected? Uh, oh, outside, what are the initial impressions? As you're walking around the perimeter of that outside, what can you 
observe through the windows? What do you do? You see a, any indications that there are children at play, or that there's a dog, or anything that could sort of take help to eliminate the anonymity of someone who wanted to do, you know, do you harm? And then the eye is insides. When you're walking around the insides, what are the areas where your eyes are immediately drawn to? Is the location of a safe obvious? Is the location of where you keep your jewels or your personal, you know, everyone likes to think that the top drawer of their bedroom dresser is this like super safe hiding spot. But in reality, it's the first place most bad guys look. And then last is just the lasting impressions. I have a friend of mine who's a, a comedian. He often talks about if he thinks about something once, it's you know maybe an anomaly, but if he thinks about it two or three times, that's his self, his subconscious telling him that there's something there and he needs to write a joke about it. Your, your vulnerabilities in your home you know, kind of operate in the same way. If you keep coming back to a certain thing that's kind of like giving you an itch or a concern, that's something you absolutely want to address because that's your subconscious letting you know about a vulnerability that needs to be taken care of. How important is it to say have a fence around your property or to have a home security system and a big sign out in the front that says you've got a home security system? You know, I I don't like to say that, hey, if you do this, you're going to be safe. And if you don't do this, you're not going to be safe. What is true across the board is that most people uh, like just taking full advantage of the systems and the strategies that you already have in place will really help to reduce your, tar- your your likelihood of being targeted exponentially. Like just lock your front door. Most bad guys gain entry into a home through an unlocked door or through an unlocked window. And so if we can just all have like, let's just say like a nine o'clock you know, safety plan where at nine o'clock every night, we make sure that the alarm's turned on. We make sure the doors are locked. We make sure the windows are shut. We just kind of like go through everything and it becomes part of our everyday routine that anyone who may be observing us or doing research and planning on targeting us may will, you know, transition to a different target who is taking less in less of an active role in their in their own protection. Because regardless of circumstance or scenario, the number one factor of target selection is likelihood of success. So the greater you can, or the more time, effort, and energy you can invest into just making yourself less of a target, the higher your likelihood is of remaining safe. And of course, with social media, I don't know, it just seems to me like people want to overshare so much about where they're going and their feelings. And they just, yeah, they're just making themselves targets that they didn't necessarily have to be or weren't in the past. I couldn't agree more. I have an entire chapter in the book, uh, you know, dedicated to the safety trap of oversharing. Because most people just simply don't realize how much sensitive information, how much identifying information, how much private information we share on social media over a six-month timeline. Everything from where we went to school, our first car, our dog's name, where our kids go to school, the names of our, our teachers, of, of our kids' teachers. And so much of this information, like the, what you post online may not be the reason you become targeted. But everything you post online will make those who want to target you more successful in their endeavor. And I know you also say that we should be careful of those people who overshare with us. What do you mean by that? Well, there are certain predatory, manipulating, you know, um, ways that predators try to get 
in, you know, it's called like team building, where if like they're oversharing so much of, of, of themselves, it almost makes it like you feel more confident or you feel more uh, a higher proclivity to sharing more things with you. And what's important to keep in mind is that just because someone else is oversharing their personal information does not mean that you have a debt of honor or that you owe them anything for, for them doing so. Our willingness to protect ourselves should always be first and, and foremost in our mind. And whether that be having a certain level of disagreeability with just not, you know, falling into the that that kind of like baiting language trap or just our disagreeability in or our willingness to be disagreeable in just something that we just don't want to do are all just very practical, very realistic, very effective strategies to help you succeed in staying safe. I mean, this is stuff that is so useful for so many women who are on the dating apps and going out on first dates with all these manipulative guys. They don't you know, they all have different agendas, obviously. And sometimes they've looked you up beforehand. Exactly. And it's so tempting then to try and, you know, be like, oh my God, this guy's great. I want to, I want to share with him because he's sharing with me. What strategies do we need to use on those first dates to stay safe, but also not come off like, you know, a, a jerk for not oversharing? Well, I don't think there's there needs to be uh, one of the one of the phrases I always like to use is, hey, that's a really great question. That's a but that's a longer conversation for a later time. You're not saying no. You're just I want to get to know you better before we do a deep dive into, you know, all of our, uh, you know, underlying fears, motivations and drives. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you know, having a candid conversation or sharing things that you like, but let's keep those, those initial, initial conversations, very surface level. What's your favorite movie? What, what kind of music do you like? Do you, you know, what kind of food do you like? And I, when I say that, when I say like talking about movies, talk about the movies you like, don't talk about like where your favorite movie theaters are. When you talk about the kind of food that you like, maybe don't talk about what your favorite restaurants are. Because until you really meet someone in person, you don't really get that same, you know, that that full spectrum feeling, emotion, because someone can be very charming and and can have, you know, like a, a profile picture that makes them look like a Greek god on a on a dating app. But until you're really sitting across from someone and you're able to have those those interpersonal very, you know, the, the, you're able to pick up on those like nonverbal cues that, but all of that, you just want to, uh, you want to be very slow and deliberate about the people you allow into your life, but very quick and decisive about those you remove. Okay. So what if it's gotten to the point where you've met somebody on this online dating app and you're going to take it from the online situation to meeting them for a drink or something? What advice do you have for those first time meetings? Especially if they look great, right? They can <laughs> they can look like their profile picture. That doesn't mean anything, right? right? Yeah. They can look like the Greek god. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what more people should worry about more than like that person trying to harm them is that there's just not going to be the the connection that you think there's going to be. Most people are good people. Most people are looking for love or looking for connection or looking for you know those those you know, that interpersonal connection that we're, we're all striving to achieve. But, you know, you should also have certain safeguards in place when you're going to do that. So go a place, go to a place where 
where that you know intimately well, where you know, you know how to get in, how to get out. You know, you maybe you know the the bartender, or maybe you know some of the waiters or the waitresses who can like kind of look after you. Let a friend know that you're going to be there. You know, have a have a time and date. And I always try to have that first interaction not be something where um, alcohol would be involved. I, I try to always have those first interactions or always recommend that those first interactions be something where you'll, you have a, you have a, a built-in exit. So maybe instead of meeting for drinks after work, you meet for coffee during work because you always have the, Hey, I've got to get back to work. Or you, you just want to always have, you know, the, uh, the, an exit plan, you know, kind of like one of those, like you don't walk into a place that you don't know how to walk out of. Don't put yourself yourself in a first time situation that you don't know how to get out of. What should women carry around in their purse to use just in case on that first date, they go outside with the guy and he's trying to get them to go in his car? Well, listen, there's a lot of self-defense tools in the marketplace right now that are effective and, and, um, you know, easy to use and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, concealable and, and effective and what have you. Self-defense tools are great, but a a self-defense mindset is better. What I don't want is to say, oh, if you carry a discreet stabbing tool, or if you carry a knife, or if you carry a gun, or if you carry mace, or if you carry pepper spray, that you're going to remain safe. Because if all you ever did was take like one familiarization class and expect for your skill set to be able to perform as expected in those heightened scenarios where moments matter most, you're going to find yourself at a disadvantage. What I what I would encourage is that you pick up on those warning signs before it gets to that point. So that, you know, you like I said before, you have an exit strategy, you have a plan in place. But if it does come down to a a you know you versus them confrontation, big moves by me to big targets on you is almost the most effective way to go. So two hands pushing right into the chest is a, is a great way to push someone back. And then of course don't forget that you have the ability to scream, you have the ability to run, anything that you can do to draw attention to yourself and remove the anonymity of the situation will ultimately help you to succeed in staying safe. You know, another point you made in the book when you were talking about families having a, a meetup plan, you talk about how restaurants are safe havens. And I never thought about that before, but if you were in a on a date and in a situation where you were starting to feel uncomfortable in the parking lot or whatever, a restaurant is not a bad place to, to go back to. Restaurants are are great savings, uh, safe safe havens across the board. This this idea first came to me when I was uh, doing interviews after the Boston Marathon bombing because so many people in Boston that day weren't from Boston and didn't really know the area as intimately as they you know, may know their own hometown. So when someone asked me what you know, should someone do in that situation, I said, run to a restaurant. You know, e- Restaurants are easy to identify. They're easy to remember. You know that they're going to have food and water. You know that they're going to have bathrooms. You know that they're most likely going to have hard line internet and phone lines so that you can reach out to your loved ones. And if need be, the kitchen will have, you know, utensils and cutlery that you could, you know, turn into some kind of modified weapon if absolutely necessary. But restaurants are not only, like I said, if if you're a kid and you're on vacation and you don't know where to go, you're going to, you may not remember the name of your hotel, but you're going to remember where you had breakfast or you're going to remember where you had lunch. If you're in a town and you're out on a run, you know, just working on your fitness and you're not sure where to go and you feel like someone's following you, go into a restaurant. If you're a child and you 
uh, are, are, you know, are, are, you know, separated from your family, going to a restaurant, you know, that they're going to have, you know, probably have a good relationship with law enforcement, with police, they're going to have many people there who are going to want to help you. So restaurants, yeah, one of the, one of the best safe havens that you can use for family reunification or being lost, or if you just don't know where to go, you'll always know how to get there. I want to go back to the idea of how to keep kids safe. How old do kids need to be before parents start to have the conversation with them about, hey, there could be a shooter at your school, at the movie theater, at the mall, and here's what you need to do? Because it would have terrified me when I was younger. Right, right. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, the, the threat matrix, you know, for, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you ladies are both younger than I am. But, you know, when I was a kid growing up, like the security director was like the janitor with a set of keys. Now it's like a whole new, you know, you know, threat matrix and paradigm. Yeah. I think the best thing parents can do is to remove the burden of fear with an empowerment in the in, in their own protective process. So if you think that, you know, it may be time for your child to like you, you're wondering if your child's ready for, you know, a certain talk about a certain topic. Your child has probably not already thought of it, but they probably already have questions about it. And one of the best things that you can do as a parent is establish, establish yourself early and often as a trusted source of information. Asking questions, playing board games, seeing like what things come up, having you know, those conversations around the dinner table is, is a really important way for you to gauge the kinds of questions that are going through your child's head. And the more that your child asks those questions, I think a lot of parents sometimes feel burdened you know, themselves by not having all of the answers to everything. One of the things my grandfather used to always say is like, listen, I may not know, but by tomorrow, we'll both know. And so if you just give yourself that, you know, hey, that's a really important question. I'd like to talk about that later. You're going to buy yourself that time to, you know, go on YouTube or find a good book or, you know, come up with some talking points that you can then establish, you know, to sort of inform that, that understanding for your child. Because the more that you can under, the more that your child will come to you with to be a, you know that trusted source of information while it's the it's the smaller concerns like stranger danger or or you know you know the school safety the more likely they are to come to you later in life when the even more significant concerns arise i know you urge people to do a google search on themselves why is that important and what should you be looking for it's there are so many of these classmate finder and, you know, truth finder and, and background check and e-verified, you'd be kind of surprised if you go online and look at how much stuff is out there about you. Um, stuff that you, you posted yourself or stuff that other people have posted about you or stuff that you just maybe didn't even know was out there. But yeah, there's two things I always recommend everyone do. Every, every so Every three, four, five months or so, give yourself like a good Google search and see what's out there. And if there is stuff that you don't want, you know, on these sites, you can have that stuff removed. There's always ways you can go about that. And then the other thing I always recommend everyone do is to, you know, go on on Squarespace and, and buy your, go, your domain name. Because as we move more and more into the digital metaverse realm where everyone's, you know, identification and, and, and bona fides for being alive is more and more, you know, 
in the online ecosystem, the more control you can have over that information, the better off you're going to be. Because the last thing you want is someone else buying that information on your behalf, because they can at that point kind of, you know, kind of use it as leverage to exploit you down the road. Yeah, the digital stuff is so crazy and something that you know, I didn't think about when I was younger, although I probably should have, I was certainly in the time that I should have thought about it more. Um, but what do you do if you're getting harassing text messages or something that seems dangerous, maybe from an untraceable app? So many people have WhatsApp, they have text free, they have all these apps that you can't trace back the IP address to. Are the cops ever going to take you seriously? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. The, so the most important thing to do is to document everything. If, if something happens once, you know, it, maybe it's an anomaly. If something happens twice, it's a coincidence. You know, if something happens three times, it's a pattern in practice. But the most important thing when it comes, and I, I deal with these cases all, all the time, stalking, harassment, blackmail, inappropriate communications, inappropriate pursuit. The most important thing is to document everything that is taking place. I'll, I'll give you an example. If let's say, uh, here's a, here's a, I'll give you a real world example. Um, woman, uh, you know, early thirties working at her office. There's a coworker keeps, you know, keeps asking her out, keeps, you know, basically gets to the point where it's like a sexual harassment claim and that individual is ultimately terminated, but it doesn't end there. Then it becomes, you know, he's sending messages, like you said, through like, third-party apps. He's having things delivered to, you know, he's sending gifts to her door. He's having flowers delivered and chocolate sent. The next thing you know, like she starts seeing him like outside her gym parking lot. He starts seeing her at the Whole Foods he go to. And then eventually it gets to the point where he's like parked in his truck outside of her apartment building. Now, if at the moment she sees him parked out of outside of her apartment building, she calls the police and says, hey, there's this creepy guy you know, sitting in his truck outside my apartment building. There's absolutely nothing the, the police can do because all they know is that there's just a guy sitting outside of his truck. But if you are able to document over the past six months that evolution, that pattern and practice of inappropriate communications and inappropriate activity now turning into a predatory practice, that is something the police can do because now that person is clearly identifiable as being on the pathway to violence. And that is, is, you know, something that can actually is actually a prosecutable offense. But if the first thing the police or anyone ever knows about it is just this initial call about him sitting outside of your house, well, you're, you kind of put yourself at a disadvantage. What should we know about keeping our passwords safe in terms of, of our social media, emails, whatever it might be? Yeah. So passwords is one of the, you know, having a, a strong username and password and a unique username and password for each account is really one of the most effective first steps to keeping your online activity secure. Because while it may be very difficult to let's say, hack your bank account, it is very easy to hack your Fitbit. And if you are using the same username and password for your Fitbit as you are for your Bank of America account, well, now you just gave me the keys to the kingdom. There are you know, a myriad of password managers uh, available online. Um, what I would not recommend is having in your notes app a a folder that says passwords with all of your information written down like that. 
but you know, there are, there are certain, there are definitely password managers. There are people can use what's known as like a pass phrase where you have a very strong, uh, you know, five or six letters that you use for everything. And then the back end it's, is its own unique identifier for that particular site. There are, are lots of things you can do. And the, you know, even some of these, um, like I know like Safari and Google Chrome, you even have like a way for uh, the, the, the computer or the laptop or the phone itself to store that unique strong password. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, I, I hate more than anyone having to change my passwords every 90 days when I log into account and they're like, oh, it's time to update your password. I'm like, oh, what am I going to remember it now? But I'm telling you that that that's sm- it's a very small price to pay for uh, avoiding the the overwhelming atrocities that could come for for not doing it. So then I found it was really interesting how you talk about that we should be trading in our regular keys for electronic keys, because my thought would be somebody could find out what that password is and they could just, you know, come behind us and, or, and enter it or they, they, they can get it so much more easily than they could access a key. So why is that better? Well, who, who is really like when you're at your front door, there's no one behind you typically. I mean, I, I understand, I understand the concern, but when you think about the locks that are at your house, the people who would come to your house, it's its not like you're, you know, being bombarded, like walking through like a grocery store or like standing at an ATM. I mean, if you feel comfortable using your ATM code at a bank machine, you, f- okay. you should feel secure using a, a code to get into your house. It's just a matter of principle. Why I recommend the electronic locks rather than the keys is because you have a record of who entered the code when, as opposed to a key where you have no transaction. So if not only that, but like, let's say you fire your, your, your babysitter, let's say you fire your housekeeper, let's say that you and your boyfriend or your girlfriend break up, you don't want to have to worry about getting those keys back or going through the hassle of, of having the locks changed out where you can just like literally go into an app on your phone and either completely delete their, their profile, which means now they have absolutely no way of getting into your house, or you can just you know, change the code that, that you're using for access to the house. I also like the fact that you can set up certain parameters for when those those codes actually work. So that if your let's say your housekeeper comes on Fridays between ten and two, that's the only time that code will work. Mostly, it's about having you know having the, those those electronic locks be part of an overall comprehensive like security program. So that if you do see that if there was a an unauthorized attempt to get into your house, you can then use that time and date stamp to go back and look at the cameras to see who that individual actually was. Where if that, whereas if that person had just you know a physical key, you wouldn't be alerted to that fact either way. What advice do you have in terms of, say we, we do meet up with somebody uh, from an online situation and the, the, you know, the get together is over and they say, hey, how about I give you a ride home? What do you say? I mean, is it a, a a yes to someone else should never come at the cost of a no to you. So if you want to go, if if you want to get in the car with them and go somewhere else, you should absolutely do that. But if there's even the moment's hesitation where you don't want to do it, you should absolutely not do it. You know, a, a yes to someone else should should never come at the cost of a no to you. And your willingness to defend yourself should always be greater than your unwillingness to offend another. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? And we've asked you this before, but we want to ask again, what did nobody tell you about safety and preparedness that you had to learn the hard way and you'd like to pass on to our audience? Ooh, that's a good question. I, <laughs> you know what I could say? What, what I learned from my dog about, about uh, nuance. Um, you know, they always say that like, no is, you know, the beginning or no is the end of the conversation, not the beginning of a negotiation. And I remember when I got these like new, uh, like patio deck chairs that they were going to have to be, um, that my dog was not going to be allowed. Was, there's only a few places my dog's not allowed, but those outside deck chairs was certainly going to be one of them. But the one time I said, you know, the, of course I said, no, 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 no. All like, you know, for like the first couple of months. And then, you know, one time it was like a nice day and I wanted like a cool picture of us like sitting up in the chairs. And so I invited him to jump up in the chair and sit down next to me. And we got this great photo. But now every time after that, he thinks it's a negotiation to <laughs> about whether or not he's allowed up on the chairs or not. And so what I will say is that when it comes to the decisions we make in our lives about we're not going to do something or we are going to do something or when we when we have pre-established boundaries in our mind um, and then we, we, we take those away, it's, you know, it's kind of like how like, um, I can't use that example, but what I will say <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> what I will say is that like when you have a boundaries that we put in place in our lives, are not boundaries for other people. They're boundaries for us. And the more that we understand that I'm not going to tolerate this is not something that someone else needs to be okay with. It's only something that we need to be okay with. And as long as we are willing to have that healthy and forceful boundary, things will almost always go you know, as, as we intend because the decisions we make in our personal life could impact our professional life and the things that the decisions we make in our, in our professional life could impact our personal life. But it's very important that we have those clear distinctions between you know, certain compartmentalized pockets of, of our own lives because when those boundaries between, you know, what we will accept and what we will tolerate become more blurred, the, the more risk we have a tendency to invite into our lives. And Spencer, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about the book and your work? Uh, thank you. Uh, the book, uh, the website for the book is thesafetytrap.com. It is available wherever your favorite books are sold. Um, Amazon, Target, Walmart, your local bookstore. The business is courseandsecuritygroup.com. We specialize in helping good people to make bad things better. Uh, and uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is at uh, s.corson. Uh, but if you just Google Spencer Corson, you'll, it'll all pop up. You'll, uh, you'll, see, you'll see what I have going on. Well, Spencer, again, we thank you so much. We really love the advice that you have. And, and uh, we just hope our listeners are able to apply it. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate both of you. Again, our thanks to Spencer Corson, whose new book is called The Safety Trap, a security expert's secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world. And the website for the book is thesafetytrap.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.
This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so does the fun, the flavors, the excitement, and the many cool things that make our city the perfect summer getaway destination. Come keep cool with amazing pools at the best hotels, refreshing adventures both indoor and outdoor, inspiring history and culture, culinary wonders, and the hottest nights of your life at the coolest spots in Texas. To plan the coolest summer vacation, dive in to visitsanantonio.com slash summer.